You are listening to the Soul Connection Duo podcast, a podcast that explores spirituality, shares vulnerable stories, brings awareness to different healing modalities, and offers hope to individuals who may be grieving a loss. I'm Alexa Mathis. And I'm Sydney Ham, and we are your hosts, also known as the Soul Connection Duo. Get ready to connect to your soul and start healing within. Today, our guest is Pam Moore. Pam is an occupational therapist turned award-winning health and fitness freelance journalist, certified intuitive eating counselor and podcaster. Her writing has also appeared in outlets, including the Washington Post, The Guardian, Time, Runner's World, Outside, Self, WebMD, Forbes, and many others. Pam is also a certified personal trainer, six-time marathoner, and two-time Ironman finisher. Pam hosts the Real Fit podcast, featuring conversations with women athletes about body image, enoughness, and more. Her mission is to let women know that there are already enough and to help them break up with the scale. She lives with her husband and two children in Boulder, Colorado. Welcome to the Soul Connection Duo podcast, Pam, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, ladies. It's so lovely to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. Your accomplishments are amazing just listening to Lex read them off. It's yeah, we're so lucky to have you. Um, do you mind just telling us a little bit about your journey and how you got into doing um, this work? Yeah, I would love to. Um, I'm going to try to be as brief as possible. It was a long kind of winding road at times. So you can just feel free to ask me anything. But um, I, where do I begin? I got my master's degree in occupational therapy, and I think I envisioned myself working in healthcare indefinitely. Um, so I graduated in 2002. I worked in mental health. I worked in hospitals just for fun. About five years after that, in 2007, I started a blog because I was really into triathlons at the time. I had just finished my first Ironman. A lot of triathletes had blogs and I thought, well, I want a place to share my stories, never thinking that writing might end up being a career path for me. That was purely for fun. Um, met my husband a year later and was continuing to work in healthcare. After our first child was born, I'm trying to piece this all together. In 2012, we had our first child. I went back to work very part-time. And was continuing to write on the blog and sort of experimenting with like writing for other sites, a few parenting sites, um, and writing for free or not very much money at all. And then after our second child was born in 2014, I was pretty burnt out on healthcare at that point. And my husband was strongly encouraging me to really go for it as a writer. So with a lot of self-doubt and insecurity and tons of imposter syndrome, I put it out there. And I, yeah, it got to the point where the hospital that I worked at, they were like, look, we have to post your job. Like, are you coming back or not? Cause I kept saying, Oh, I don't know yet. I don't know yet. So decided not to go back. Took a long time for me to actually sell all my scrubs, but, <laughs> um, and I'm still licensed as an OT, but I just started writing for again, like parenting websites, a local running magazine and super, super gradually I started writing for bigger and better markets and more about things that really matter to me, like women's health, women's fitness. And along that journey, I sort of renegotiated my own relationship with food, which we can talk about. That was kind of unhealthy for a very, very long time. I discovered intuitive eating along the way, and it changed my life to the point where I just want to tell everybody about it. So I got certified as an intuitive eating counselor, and now I do freelance journalism, along with intuitive eating coaching. That's amazing. I actually have a background as well as a registered nurse. And oh. um, due to various events in my life, I haven't fully let it go. But I'm kind of on that path as well, where I have been. It, it's hard to fully let things go, especially when you go into something at such a young age and you think you're going to do it forever as well. Yes. Um, it's funny too, cause I actually did someone, I think it was my counselor actually that had sent me this link to like nurse writing, like nurses mm -hmm. that write things. And mm -hmm. I did explore it for a little bit. I didn't explore it enough, but it's now that you've brought that up, I'm like, maybe I would have to look back into that again. Cause it's really interesting. And I do oh, find yeah. 
being able to write and share my feelings and things is so helpful for not only yourself, but for other people. Um, so just as you were explaining all that, I was like, wow, I feel like I can definitely relate to what you're saying. So that's really, really cool. Yeah. Um, healthcare experience is always coming in handy when you're, when I'm talking about writing about anything medical, you know, I understand all the jargon. I understand all the questions mm-hmm. to ask. I have the context that, you know, you could do all the research in the world, but if you haven't been there, you just don't have the same understanding. So you do have a lot of valuable skills as a nurse that you can take mm-hmm. a lot of places. Yeah. I think it's hard too, because, you know, people like, especially in healthcare and nursing, it's like people just think of the hospital environment or, you know, some community settings, but there are so many other options out there too, that it's so interesting to explore. And we've had a few other people on our podcast that were OT social workers that have now kind of ventured out into other things, which is really cool. Um, so yeah, we're really just excited to talk to you. And one thing that you did bring up, there was imposter syndrome. Do you mind talking a little bit about that? Cause it has come up a few times, but for yeah. people who maybe don't know what that is. Sure. I would love to chat with you about imposter syndrome. So imposter syndrome is a term that I believe was coined in the 1970s by a psychologist, Pauline Clance. And she was finding that a lot of high achieving, um, you know, really successful young women had these fears, these sort of unfounded fears of failure or this fear of like being found out as a fake of some kind. And her research revealed that this was a lot more common in young women than in men. And I think that's still the case, but it's basically the, you know, imposter syndrome is something where you just, you just don't feel like you belong. You feel like anything that you have accomplished is a lucky break or like you knew somebody, you don't want to take credit for any of your accomplishments. Like for me, the first time it showed up was as an athlete. I had been picked last for every single team as a child, terrified of any sports with a ball, just never saw myself as an athlete. And yet I got into endurance sports. I think for me, it made sense because it's one of those things where you just keep showing up and you will consistently over time, you will get better. That's just the nature of things. You don't need any special talent, like put one foot in front of the other and run. Um, And when I did my first Ironman, my family came out to support me. And I recall my, my sister said something like, you, you know, all you triathletes. And I said, Oh no, I'm no, not me though. Like them, but not me. And she was like, you don't consider yourself a triathlete. And I, I was almost shocked at the question. I not realizing that it was ridiculous that I was shocked. I was like, well, why would I be a triathlete? I'm like, I just, you know, meanwhile, in like an hour from that moment, I was going to swim. I'm trying to remember it, swim 2.4 miles, bike 112 miles and run a marathon, like all in the same day. And I was like, Oh, I just, swim, bike, and run for fun. I'm not a triathlete. And when I learned what imposter syndrome was some point after that, it all clicked. And I'm like, oh my God, that's what that was. And so for me now, knowing that imposter syndrome exists and that it's actually pretty common when people get out of their comfort zones, I approach it a lot differently than I used to. It's still, when I get out of my comfort zone, like I still get scared. I still have all these feelings of like, well, who wants to listen to me? Or what do I know about this? Or whatever it might be. But I also realize, okay, you've been here before and this is just your brain trying to protect you. This is a sign that you're growing. This is a sign that you're about to experience growth. It's like how children have growing pains. So do we. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, I I loved that when I was, I actually listened to your first podcast episode and I was listening to it and I definitely could relate to feeling that way both like in sports or just in life and now that we're doing this podcast even like this we actually it's our we just hit our one year anniversary with the podcast and we're like oh my god we're podcasters now like it's (laughs) you know congratulations and And I felt it before I launched my first episode too like Mm -hmm. I don't know how many times I was like well what who cares about my podcast like am I going to be saying anything that's different than anybody else but we whatever we're all saying, like we, only you have had your experience, only you have your perspective. And so I try to remember that when I'm in that place of like, Oh, why me? Why should I do this? Totally. Yeah. Well, I think growth is scary and it's hard. And sometimes admitting those things to yourself is also hard to acknowledge the things that you've accomplished. So yeah, thank for you sure. for sharing that. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for listening to my podcast. That's so sweet. I love that you've researched me heavily. <laughs> Yeah, we we definitely we like to like 
get a little bit of insight in our guests and just kind of figure out, you know, topics we're super interested in. And, you know, especially if there's things that we haven't really talked about yet on our podcast. And I, we've had someone on that talked a little bit about intuitive eating and unhealthy eating and dieting and stuff, but not Mm -hmm. in a ton of detail. Would you maybe like to talk a little bit about that part of your journey then for us and our listeners? Sure. Well, I'll just start by saying what intuitive eating is, and then Mm -hmm. I can talk about kind of what led me to it. Does that sound good? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, intuitive eating is a practice that's based on the idea that you, not a diet, not a guru, not a book, not a website or an app, but you yourself know more about what would nourish you food-wise than anything else. And that you really can trust your body to be your guide as to what to eat. And a common misconception that people have is, oh my God, but if I listen to my own self as to what to eat, I'm telling you, I would eat Oreos all day long or donuts or pizza or mac and cheese, whatever. (laughs) And that's a super common way of thinking. But the fallacy there is that we are naturally very drawn to what we feel is off limits or forbidden. Like, have you ever, I don't know, dated a guy who was totally wrong for you, but like that partly made it really sexy or like, you know, if you've ever been with a child and you said, do not touch this thing, what are they going to do? They're going to touch the thing. That's the human brain. It doesn't matter if you're four years old or 40 years old. There's a real emotional charge that comes with saying this thing or this food is off limits. When, so one, there's 10 principles of intuitive eating and I won't get into like all 10 of them, but a major one is making peace with food. And that involves giving yourself permission to eat all foods. And when you truly fully embrace the idea that like you really do as an adult, and I mean, and I know it's, it's, um, there is a level of privilege there. I'm, we're ma- I'm making the assumption that like a person has access to all the food. And I realize that not everybody does, but in, in this ideal world you know that you really can eat whatever, however much, and whenever you want. And when you know that it's there for you, you don't feel this crazy urge to like, for example, I don't know if you've ever done this, but like maybe you had a cake in the house and instead of eating a slice, at which point you were satisfied, instead you were like, oh my God, I'm just going to eat this whole thing so that it won't be there tomorrow. And then tomorrow I'm starting fresh. Like I used to do that all the time and it never felt good. And of course I would start the next day with like the best of intentions and then start the whole cycle over again. So when you really know that it's really there for me, you really trust that you can eat at any old time, then you can make the decision about whether you want it, when you want it, how much of it you actually want without the emotional charge of the restriction. And then you can make your decisions from a more informed place. And that doesn't mean you like never eat cake, but it means you're going to be respecting your hunger. You're going to be respecting your fullness. It's going to be a very different experience of enjoying that cake rather than that like frenzy, like supermarket sweep. Oh my God, got to get it now kind of mentality. So that's, um, that's intuitive eating kind of in a nutshell. And there's other components of it too. But as far as how I got to it, trying to remember a time when I had a good relationship with food and probably when I was a child I remember as soon as I got to high school and my friends started talking about weight calories and this was like in the 90s we were obsessed with fat grams you weren't supposed to have too many fat grams in the 90s like carbs we didn't care about but like fat was bad fat was your enemy so you know you'd be eating like a whole package of snack wells fat-free cookies but but never be satisfied. That's another principle of intuitive eating. It's like, respect your satisfaction factor. Like you might eat like a whole sleeve of Snackwell's cookies and they won't leave you feeling satisfied because it wasn't what you really wanted. Maybe you just really wanted that chocolate chip cookie from the bakery. And if you would just have that, maybe you only need half to get, you know, to feel that satisfaction. Or maybe you could eat a small cup of ice cream to get the same satisfaction that you would maybe never get from fat-free frozen yogurt, you know? Anyway, so I just created all these like rules for myself around food and they varied depending on like what was in fashion at the time. Like I was really into the zone diet at one point. There were points where I was limiting carbs, points where, and a lot of my rules were just rules that I made up, but that I would break and not necessarily stick to. So like, if you met me, like 
a lot of my friends were like, oh, you had a bad relationship with food? Because, you know, I would still go out to eat. It wasn't interfering with my social life. I would still eat the food, but I would have a lot of guilt. I would have a lot of like obsessive thoughts maybe before I was going to a party or before I was going out to dinner anywhere that I knew that I might become, you know, quote unquote, out of control around food. Um, I might strategize like, oh my gosh, I know I'm going to this restaurant and like, I know there's going to be really good dinner rolls. So at lunch, I'm not going to have, you know, pizza because that's like too many carbs in one day. Or, you know, I just had this like ongoing, inner monologue about what was okay what wasn't okay how much was I going to exercise how much had I already exercised it really got to like the absolute worst point when I use this macro tracking app have you ever tried tracking your macros yeah I have what did you I think <laughs> um you know I've really found parts of it really um empowering and helpful and other parts of it not so much so yeah. there was pros and cons to it and I have learned a lot in terms mm -hmm. of like just food intake and as like somebody who works out a lot I thought it was quite helpful in um just seeing the variation of like where I where my eating habits could be mm -hmm. kind of um in terms of like content of fat, um, carbs and proteins, mm -hmm. but it was it isn't overly sustainable um, if you're if you want to really track your calories at all times because yeah. you're gonna go to a party or you're gonna go out for dinner and how do you do that accurately when you're not able to weigh your food or yeah, yeah those pieces that was I, my issue I did like when I like. first <laughs> discovered like the macronutrients but like in my twenties it was a revelation because I was finding that I was eating like a cantaloupe for breakfast and not knowing why I was starving two hours later. Well, mm -hmm. yeah, a cantaloupe is a lot of carbs and no, maybe not a lot of carbs, but it's carbs without the fat and the protein, right? Yeah. But once I learned that initial lesson, there wasn't much more. For, all I really learned for me from counting macros was that it was making me crazy. And like, mm -hmm. I give credit to, and if you can track macros and not lose your mind, good for you. That was not my experience. I and maybe because I tend to be a little bit neurotic or obsessive or whatever, um, and because it was all wrapped up in body image. I got really into CrossFit and I love what CrossFit did for me, like as an athlete and as a person, like I got really comfortable using a barbell, which I never had before. I was able to do things I had never done before. Like I could do pull-ups, I could do the like rope climb and I just had so much fun with it. So I'm not putting CrossFit down. But because I got into CrossFit, I started following a lot of CrossFit athletes, um, you know, both like regular people and elites on Instagram and seeing their physiques and the fact that like CrossFit's super into like the paleo diet, which, um, you know, again, it's more rules and restrictions about what you can and can't have or what's quote unquote, okay. Um, I just got it into my head that a real athlete, air quotes, looks a certain way and I didn't look that way. And that for whatever reason, I felt like, well, I'm supposed to, like, I, you know, I should look this way. And maybe it's just because I've been trying all the right, th wrong things, or I haven't been trying hard enough. And so I got on this like macro accounting wagon and it was like a part-time job. Like you said, to weigh the food, measure the food, track the food, think about, you know, I recall um, my kids and I, and my husband, we are, my family has a tradition of going to Dairy Queen on the last day of school. And I remember being up at like six in the morning before anybody else was up on my laptop, searching for the nutrition facts of what I thought I would probably order at Dairy Queen and then planning my macros around it for the day and being really thrilled that I was like, Ooh, I can make this work. But right. that's like insane that I was like uh -huh. planning my ice cream cone at six in the morning. And just this cycle of constantly trying to track everything and then inevitably I would slip up on a Friday night and then I would find myself in the pantry just binging on like anything, including like stale cookies, like whatever I could find. It was disgusting. And um, not that it's, I'm not judging. I'm not saying it's disgusting if people do that. I'm saying like, I felt disgusting and mm -hmm. I was eating food that was objectively disgusting. <laughs> like, like I've gone bad. <laughs> stuff like that didn't even taste good. Mm -hmm. I wasn't even tasting it. I was just shoving it in my face. And 
in my mind, I was like, I'm insane. Like, this is insane. What I know now that I've studied intuitive eating, it's not insane at all. It is totally natural. When you restrict, the body's natural instinct is to then overdo it. That's just what it is. That's biology. Um, so I forgive myself and I no longer think that I was out of control. My body was just doing what it was doing. Um, and also, but mentally also, besides thinking about food constantly and also berating myself mentally for like messing up because inevitably you're going to mess up. It's unless, it, you know, if you're like a professional athlete, go for it. But I'm not a professional athlete. This was a hobby. Um, I was lying to my kids. They were now they are eight and 10. And at the time, I guess they were like four and six. And I was lying when they were asking me, why are you measuring all your food, mommy? And I was saying, oh, because it's healthy. And I kind of half believed it myself. But like the true truth was I wanted my abs to be flat, which the truth is they are never going to be. A lot of women are like, oh, I have a poochy stomach since I have had kids. Like my stomach has always stuck out. I remember in the fifth grade, a classmate was like, no offense, but you have a pot belly. Um, this is just how my body is. And, but I thought it shouldn't be like that. I was just trying so hard to micromanage it. And um, I just realized at a certain point, this is insane. I'm relying on an app to tell me what to eat. That doesn't even make sense. At this point, I had, I was a week away from my 40th birthday. And I just thought I'm a 40 year old woman asking an app what to eat. This has to stop. This just needs to stop. And it was like a light bulb went off and I just stopped. And I thought I need to take at least a, in my mind, I was like, I'm taking a week off of this. I'm not even going to look at the app for a week. And a week turned into like, it's been four and a half years. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Like to just be able to acknowledge that and um, make a change because I think, especially as women, we're taught from a very young age in this society that there are things that you should and shouldn't eat or do or whatever it might be. There's so many rules, air quotes, um, yeah. that we're told and so many things around food specifically where you can categorize certain things, um, whether they're good or bad or um, how much of certain things you should and shouldn't be eating. And um, I'm glad you brought up the macros thing, because that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you um, in terms of like, how might that fit into um, intuitive eating or and we can talk like about that. that. I don't necessarily think that intuitive eating and macro counting have to be mutually exclusive. Um, mm -hmm. Here's what I think. Like if you can do it and it isn't making you crazy, do it, right? I think it's up to each person to decide what works for me. But from an intuitive eating perspective, well, I think what I failed to mention before is intuitive eating is about honoring your body's cravings, wishes, needs, whatever, regardless of your size or regardless of your weight. So some people, it's unpredictable. Like no one really knows when people embrace intuitive eating, if they will stay the same, lose weight or gain weight. But the idea is your body basically has a set point. And if you nourish it as, as you feel, it's gonna just all come out in the wash and it's gonna be fine. The issue is a lot of people have fears of weight gain, which is legitimate. So I guess if I were, you know, if you were my client and you were saying, can I count macros? My first question would be, why are you counting macros? If you mm -hmm. told me I am training for a marathon and I wanna recover as well as possible, particularly after my tempo runs or after my long runs, and I'm experimenting with like what macro combinations for my, um, for my, you know, my big workout days really help me recover, then I would say, why don't you try it? If that's not triggering to you, or if and maybe you don't need to track it down to the very gram, maybe you want to yeah. write down what you ate and just notice, did I have a significant serving of protein in that meal? How was my carb intake? How was my fat intake? Just like roughly, you know, and just sort of note it and see how you're recovering. Then you're more or less using it as like data and it's for performance and getting you to that ideal race day that you're looking for. If on the other hand, you're like, I'm tracking my macros because I'm looking for this ideal body, right? Then I might say, okay, like, what do you think will happen? What will be different for you when you have the body that you have in mind? And then we could unpack that because there's always, yeah. you know, it's never really about the food, you know, like my experience with having, I don't know if I've ever had quote unquote the body I wanted, but as my body did get leaner at different times in my life, it didn't, it wasn't like the, I don't know if I'm saying this word right, the panacea that I thought it would be. It was always fraught with a lot of anxiety of like, what if I mess this up? 
what if this doesn't stick? What if this one slice of cake is leading to eight more slices of cake and then cake every single day? I love cake. Can you tell? Um, and <laughs> like, and it's the end of this good thing. I was always in like fear of ruining it. So yeah, I would ask somebody, you know, and in my head, I, I, I never really stopped to ask myself, like, what would happen if I was as thin as I wanted to be? I mean, I think the answer would have been, then I could accept myself, but I never really said it out loud or talked to anybody about it. Like saying it out loud makes me think, what? Like acceptance is about accepting the whole thing, wherever it's at, whoever it is, whatever it is. Like that sort of, it doesn't even make sense to say I can accept myself when, right? Acceptance is mm -hmm. regardless of the conditions. So mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know if that I makes sense. Yeah. I mean, just everything you're saying too, I think is so important in the work you're doing, especially as women, like we're typically the ones for the most part, I'm not going to, you know, neglect males, but you know, we're the ones that often get shamed for, you know, the, our types of bodies, our size, our weight, how we look, we get compared to other women. Um, do you think, obviously I know diets are still a, a thing, especially in certain cultures, like you're talking CrossFit and all these other things, but I feel like me personally, and maybe I just haven't paid much attention to it the last few years, but I feel like five years ago, like paleo diets or like, there was a bunch of things that I felt like were more common that people are doing. Do you think that now people are maybe switching more to this intuitive eating? Is this like a newer concept that people are becoming aware of or just like learning to kind of love themselves and have a better relationship with food? Or do you still think that, um, diets are still like a pretty common thing that people are turning to for weight loss? That's a good question. I think, first of all, I have to say like, since the pandemic, like there was like two years of like, not really being out and about, not seeing people or mm -hmm. talking to people other than those I was really close to. And then I feel like I'm still coming out of it. So I'm not sure if I even have my finger on the pulse of like, what are people doing? Yeah. Um, I know where I live in Boulder, Colorado, it's, there's a huge focus on health to the point of like obsession and it's in the name of health. Like, but I also think underneath the quote unquote health, there is a desire for weight loss. I think like when people talk about paleo, I think a lot of people wouldn't say that paleo was a diet. They would say it's a lifestyle. Yeah. And there's a lot of these styles of eating that people will refer to as a lifestyle. I even thought I convinced myself that the macro thing was a lifestyle. I remember a friend going like, what's the end game here? Like, what's the goal? And I was like, goal, this will never end. This is my new lifestyle. <laughs> I'm a macro counter now and I always will be. That was my thinking because I feel like the word diet sort of fell out of, you know, wasn't trendy anymore once our moms got old, you know, like we, mm -hmm. I don't really know anybody in my life that is like, would say I'm on a diet. I feel like people will say I'm trying to get healthy or right. I'm taking care of myself or I want to tone up. I don't think dieting is in anymore, but the truth is anything that tells you what, when, or how much to eat, you can call it anything you want. It's a diet. And as far mm -hmm. as like, is intuitive eating getting more popular? I do think to some extent it is as evidenced by a lot of different movements have, I think, co-opted what intuitive eating is supposed to be. I don't know if you're familiar with um, the book, Intuitive Fasting. I think Gwyneth Paltrow wrote, not Gwyneth Paltrow, but yeah, she's goop, right? Gwyneth Paltrow? Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 She came out with intuitive fasting. That's not a thing. Like if it's a fast, there's like a certain period of time that you're not eating. And like I said, yeah. a diet tells you what, when, and how much to eat. So if you're not eating during certain hours, that's essentially a diet. There is, I don't know what intuitive fasting is, but I feel mm. like she was like getting on this bandwagon of like, how can we make fasting trendy and hot right now? Okay. It's intuitive mm. fasting. Same thing with like Noom. Noom claims to work on your psychology and it's not a diet. And they use a lot of the same language as intuitive eating. If you search intuitive eating, I believe Noom comes up as um, one of the very top search results. Um, and they engineered that. But Noom is not intuitive eating. It is a system that tells you green for foods you can eat like as much as you want, yellow for foods that like, okay, eat it, but in moderation. And then um, red for foods you shouldn't have a lot. And like it, true intuitive eating is 
there are no good and bad foods. It's not to say ignore nutrition. It's not to say never have broccoli, but know that like when you're paying attention to, you know, maybe some people never crave vegetables. I know for some people, it's just not a texture that they enjoy. But when you pay attention to how you feel when you eat different foods, you'll probably find that you want to add veggies and fruits and things that make you feel good into your diet. So, and, and also to answer the question of like how popular is intuitive eating, they did a profile in the New York Times of the two co-authors of Intuitive Eating. And they published the book in the 90s originally. It's in its fourth mm-hmm. printing now. So that's pretty cool that the New York Times is taking notice. So I do think yeah. it's an idea whose time is, if it hasn't come, it's starting to come. Right. But I also think that, and yes, I think body positivity and body neutrality, and we're hearing a lot more about these things in the media, but I I. And I I think things are slowly changing, but I also think thin is still in, you know, people still want that thin ideal. Totally. I know since you're talking about the fasting, intermittent fasting was like a huge thing. I know a lot of my friends and people in my family were doing that and I tried doing it for a little bit and I'm like, you know what, like this doesn't feel right to me. I want to eat when I want to eat. I don't want to like not be able to eat after 6 p.m. and have to like wait to have my coffee at a certain time in the morning, especially like working as a nurse too and shift working. It's it's hard, right? Um, yes. And so that was something too. I was like, this doesn't feel right to me, but I know that was a big thing too that a lot of people were doing. But like you yeah. said, you're right. Like if it is restrictive on when you can eat and how you can eat and whatever, like it's, yeah, it it is a diet essentially, whether- yeah think of it as one or not so yeah for sure yeah I really um just kind of going back to the intuitive piece with the like tracking bit or things like that I think um for myself I did notice that like when I was tracking food and kind of using it like you said as an experiment that really has helped my eating habits going forward in terms of like how do I feel when I eat just carbs? Like you kind of said about the, let's, let's eat a cantaloupe for breakfast and see how, how quickly you're hungry. Like it, it's right away. Basically you don't stay full because you're not eating those other macro nutrients that your body needs to stay full. So, um, I really liked that piece. And then like, if you were to train to do say, a weightlifting competition or a run or something like that, there are probably certain things that your body is going to need outside of just like I'm eating when I'm hungry. Um, there's probably certain standards and what your meals would be or what your um, nutrients you're needing to get into your body would yeah. also be. And so how would you work that in with um, intuitive eating? Yeah. If you had somebody, say a client that was, training for something specific and needed to, and wanted to also do intuitive eating in the process. Yeah, for sure. Well, I would um, remind this person that yes, part of intuitive eating is honoring your hunger cues, honoring your, you know, honoring your fullness cues, but also giving yourself what you need. So in life, if not athletics, like that might look like giving yourself a small dinner at four o'clock. If you know that you have a meeting, that's going to go from four 30 to seven 30 and you're going to skip dinner and you're going to be starving at seven 30, you know, that's okay. You're not hungry, but you know, you're going to be hungry later. So that's a form of self-care. Well, same thing with like the athlete, you know, I would talk to them about, well, what is the event? What are the conditions going to be like? Let's find out like how many, what are the guidelines for like how much you should drink and eat during that event? And what can you tolerate? You know, if somebody is say on a very long bike ride, they're going to be probably able to tolerate more and varied solid foods than they would if they were running, you know, maybe they're running and they're going to want gels, but we figure out, you know, based on your size, the intensity, the duration of the event, what's your target calories per hour. Um, And then experiment, you know, definitely experiment in training with what are you having for breakfast? What are you eating during? You know, you should at least, if it's something over like 90 minutes, you should be eating, I can't remember the exact numbers, but like I, I can Google that, you know, and mm-hmm. um, find out how many carbs per hour for this person, have them train, see how they respond, tweak as needed and try to get it right for race day. 
But, um, and then also paying attention to after your workout, a lot of times, especially if it's hot, there's a lot of factors that influence your hunger hormones so that you may not be hungry, but that doesn't mean you don't need to eat. You do need to eat. You know, you should be eating something immediately after, you know, if your workout or event is longer than an hour, you should try to get something in ideally immediately, but within the first hour. And it should be a ratio of, let me see if I can get this right. Like as far as um, protein to carbs, one to two or one to three. So like if you're having like 40 grams of carbs, you should aim to get in like 20 grams of protein at least with that 40 grams of carbs, if that makes sense. So, and then looking at, okay, well, what do you like eating? What would taste good? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to tell somebody to eat something they hate, you know, hungry mm-hmm. or not, don't eat something you hate, but like, you know, you're done with a run and you like chocolate milk that's hydrating. That has, you know, tastes good. It has some protein. It has some carbs. It's easy to eat in the car as you're heading home. You don't have to like make anything. That's a great one. So, you know, just experimenting and looking at like, what are your overall needs? Not just for this day, but also like overall, if you're training a lot, you need calories on board to get the energy that you need so that your hormones don't get out of whack. Like if you're a woman and you are not getting your period, for example, um, that's a sign that you're definitely on a regular basis, not getting enough. And that can send you into like a whole cascade of problems, regardless, you know, people think, well, I don't want to have a baby. I don't want to have a baby ever. or don't have a baby right now. Like who cares? Um, it matters that affects so many things. It affects bone density. It affects mental clarity. It, um, I think there's other things too, but those are the first two that come to mind. It's not, it's not a good thing if you're not getting your period. So, um, yeah, yeah. I know did that I like, <laughs> yeah, I, I think you did. And I think that's a really important thing to remember as women, especially if you are somebody who's been on diets for a long time or restricts calories in certain ways, like that's a big indicator and can definitely have huge impact on your health and the health of your hormones and all of that. So something to consider. I know I've had some people in my life who have had to make some big changes because of that being a factor in in their weight loss journey. So um, yeah, good reminder. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think in a way we're lucky that we have such an obvious signifier to tell us, hey, something's wrong. Pay attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, our bodies are so smart. It's it's crazy. And um, in regards to like hormones and kind of the topic of that, um, in regards to like stress and stress eating. So I know for me, a few years ago, I went through a very major event. And the only thing I could literally get into my body for weeks, two months was like sugary products. Like that's all I felt like I could eat. I wanted to eat. I looked at normal food and was like, just disgusted. Um, What would you do then if people are experiencing like such high levels of stress or things in their life where they literally like they can't eat properly and they search for these like unhealthy foods? Is there like things, tips or things you would suggest to like help them to maybe um, cope with that or look for something that's a little more healthy despite those cravings in times of yeah yeah stress no, that's that's a really good question I mean I think first and foremost eating something is always better than eating nothing right. I think one of where I'm curious where do you guys live we're in, in BC Canada, Canada. Oh, you are okay yeah. I don't know what the culture there is like I mean the culture here in Boulder and I think in a lot of like progressive places is that like sugar is the devil like at no cost that you know at all costs avoid sugar I'm not sure if sugar deserves that bad reputation. <laughs> if the alternative is you are going to waste away, and and when I say waste away, I don't even necessarily mean get so skinny that people are asking you if you're ill. There, there are plenty of people who are not getting calories in them or not getting nearly enough calories, but they wouldn't quote unquote look like they have an eating disorder. They might not look like anything is wrong, but um, for their body, that's how they're built, whatever. They're still not getting enough to eat. It's always better to have nutrition of any kind on board, even if it's not the most nutrient dense. So that's where I would begin. If you're so depressed that you're just like, I cannot eat. I cannot think about food, but you know what I could do? Like I could have a brownie. Like I could have some Swedish fish, but nothing else sounds good. (laughs) Fine. 
for two months is not going to kill you. Yeah. But the other thing I would also say is what else are you doing to cope? Like, um, and I mean, it. I'm, are you describe? I mean, cause there's emotional eating, right? There's like eating out of boredom, sadness, yeah. anger, not wanting to feel whatever you're feeling. There's numbing. Um, and that's another thing. Right. But then there's just eating to just get through the day. I mean, I would always say to somebody, have something to get your blood sugar up. You might even feel less sad and less down if you just eat something. And depending on the person, like if you have been restricting for quite a long time, if you're really, you know, in the habit of restricting, your body gets pretty smart and it can suppress hunger cues. It gets used to it. And it's like, oh, she's not going to listen anyway. I'm I'm not going to bother. So you may be unfamiliar with your hunger cues or they may be so tamped down and so subtle that you don't realize that the sadness or anger or impatience or irritability or difficulty focusing, all of those things can be signs of hunger. Like it mm-hmm. doesn't, your stomach doesn't have to be growling for you to be hungry. Um, so there's that. Number one. So like eat something, something's better than nothing. If you feel like you're eating these sugary foods instead of nutrient dense foods, and it's because you just want to like numb out, you know, I might say, all right, let's look at what are you feeling when you eat this food? Like, what are you feeling? Or what are you trying not to feel? Like what state are you in? What's going on here? Do you have another coping strategy that you could use instead of food? And it's not to say that we can never eat for an emotional reason. I mean, look at like a birthday party, for example. (laughs) I don't know anybody that like, you know, the cake comes out at a birthday party and they're like, oh my God, I was starving. And the only thing that's going to hit the spot is cake. (laughs) We just want to eat the cake. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay. So you can eat for a happy reason. And sometimes when you just feel blue and you want to eat something familiar, like, I don't know, your mom's mac and cheese or whatever it might be, that's okay too. The problem is when food becomes your only coping mechanism, you want to have like, you know, a toolkit, which I'm sure you have in nursing, right? Like there's more than one way to solve a problem. What's something else you can do? And so I would brainstorm with a client, like, what are some go-tos? What are some things you're already doing? Are you going for walks? Okay, you could go for a walk. Do you have a pet? Do you want to snuggle the pet? Do you have a friend you can call and just vent? Do you have a friend maybe you can't call, but you could leave a lengthy WhatsApp message that they'll listen to it on three times speed when they get a chance? You know, can you write in your journal? Can you knit? Can you make art? Can you write a letter to a friend? Can you exercise? Like there, I mean, another coping tool could even be a distraction. It could be watching a show, like watching a rerun of something you know you like. Go ahead and do it. Read a magazine, take a bath. Like there's a million coping skills that we have at our fingertips that aren't food. So I would just ask people to explore those. And it's not to say like only use food as a last resort. I think emotional eating has been like super demonized and it doesn't need to be. That almost makes you feel worse when you do do it. And it's like, why? We were born with food as one of our only coping tools, right? We were infants and we cried and our caregiver gave us a breast or a bottle. And then all of a sudden we expect that we grow up and that's not supposed to comfort us anymore. Mm -hmm. That seems a little crazy to me. So I just think having a variety of tools on hand is a good solution. So does that answer the question? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think, yeah. I mean, my situation was, yeah, I was experiencing going through trauma and I had like, you know, that heightened nervous system. And so like, literally I, I had like no hunger cues. I like could like physically couldn't eat. Um, Mm -hmm. but I was losing weight without trying and not because I wanted to, but because like it just whatever. So, and I do find myself too, when I go through periods of stress, I'm like candy, chocolate, like all the things. And so I have to remind myself like, okay, that's okay to have a little bit. Like today I was having kind of a hard day and I picked up a tiny little bag of like some five cent candies just to like, I'm like, I deserve a treat today. But, you know, I'm going to go home and I'm going to have a well-balanced meal after this and like everything, right? So I think that's important too. Just kind of how you said like balance and then balancing all these other self-care things are are so important too to to have it. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. For Mm -hmm. sure. And yeah, and I think like if that balanced meal, if you notice after you ate it, it kind of lifted your spirits, you had more energy or you slept better keep an eye on that. doesn't mean obsess about it, but like, keep an eye and go like, you know, for me, as I was exploring foods that had been previously like feeling off limits or like scary, it was this really interesting process of like, 
for example, donuts were something that I, they've never really sit well with me, but the main reason that I wouldn't eat them was because I was like, oh, they're too many calories or too much fat or whatever. But when I really let myself experiment with eating a donut, I very quickly realized I just don't feel good when I eat a donut. I don't think it's going to be a while till I eat another donut. Like same thing with grilled cheese. I love grilled cheese. I would never let myself eat it. I finally was like, okay, as I'm experimenting with all these off-limits foods or previously what I thought were off-limits foods and I'm trying grilled cheese, I'm like, okay, this does taste really good, but I've only eaten half the sandwich and already it's like sitting like a rock in my stomach and I don't feel that great the rest of the day. So, okay, that was a cool experiment. It's going to be a while until I have a grilled cheese sandwich again. Just Mm -hmm. didn't do a lot for me. So, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Trusting your body. Like that is, I, it's so big these days. Um, and I think a lot of what we've been taught through COVID has been to not trust your own body and its ability to tell you what, what feels right intuitively and what, um, the capacity of the body is to heal or to tell you what it needs. And so this is, I think a really important topic to kind of touch on too while we're talking about that intuitive eating piece of like how how do you listen to your body what are some of your cues oh that's such a great question now are we talking food or like life I'd say both let's let's bring life into it and because that's the thing I'm glad we kind of got there is I didn't really expect that becoming an intuitive eater would also bleed into all these other areas of my life when I am practicing tuning into what I want three or four times a day. Cause I usually eat, I always eat three meals a day and I probably eat at least one or two snacks multiple times a day. I'm figuring out what I want. I'm better able to do that with the rest of my life. And I think like when I was younger, I would try to make a spreadsheet or a list of pros and cons about any given decision. And then would always kind of do what I kind of felt like doing in the end anyway. But I've figured out as I've gotten older yeah, I didn't really trust myself. Like I felt like I needed to make a list of pros and cons when really I knew, like I find myself sometimes still, I'll ask a friend for advice on something and they'll tell me something and it's like, I'll do what they said or I won't, but I'll realize I knew what I wanted to do before I even asked you. Like I knew, like I can feel it. So how I listen to my body was like, like when it comes to food, if I'm thinking about a certain food, like, okay, then I probably want that food. (laughs) Um, And when it comes to other things in life, it's like, I feel, how do I describe this? Almost like a contraction or a closing up when the answer is a no. Like, I'll give you an example. I get a text and it's like, a bunch of us ladies are going out for drinks on Thursday. Do you want to come? And my body feels like my heart feels a little bit closed. And I get a little tense, like in my jaw and in my neck and in my shoulders. And I just sort of freeze for a minute. And I know that like, there's part of me that is not jumping to like, check my calendar and text my husband and be like, is it cool if I go, can you watch the kids? Like, I I know that I don't want to do those things. Like no part of me is itching to do those things. And then the next thing I might do is look at the calendar hoping that like I see a podcast or a meeting or something on my husband's calendar so I can be like "Ooh, he's busy I have to stay home and watch the kids sorry you know like I go through all these things and kind of come back to wait a minute wait a minute you Pam you felt it in the first place like you felt like you that wasn't a yes like that wasn't a heck yes so Mm -hmm. that should mean it's it's a no um so just pay (laughs) attention to those subtle signs of yeah my body Yeah. Yeah. I think like that was something that was big on my list last year. Um, I remember I had it as like my phone's wallpaper for a while. It was like, it's either a hell yes or a fuck no. And Mm -hmm. I'm still trying to continue on with that being like just the intuitive answer, right. In terms of how you coordinate things in your life that, and fit, fit the things that are a hell yes. And so Thank you. I really liked that answer. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah, but it's hard, but I think it's lifelong. Like I'm not an expert. I'm not, I don't think, you know, I'll get to some point in my life where I'm like, it never takes me more than 0.2 seconds to make a decision. Cause I know, you know, I'm still gonna (laughs) probably go through times where I'm asking my sister or a friend or my husband what I should do. But yeah, we know, we really Mm -hmm. do know. And that's the thing I'm learning every day is 
we know so much more than we think we do. Most of the time, we already know the answer to what the next right choice is. And that's the other thing, too, that's been helpful to me, to take the pressure off. You don't have to know what you're supposed to do or what you should do. You don't have to have it all mapped out. You only need to know what the next step is. And then from there, you can evaluate and decide, okay, did that work? Do I want to go in that direction further, double down on that? Or do I want to back up and try something different? It's okay. Most things aren't that high stakes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think. That's so accurate. I mean, especially what Lex was saying too. And I think we have just such a hard time saying no to things that really don't like speak to ourselves and our souls. And we do it because other people are doing it or whatever. And so I think I'm so glad we actually brought that up because I think it's so important. And I think Lex and I are both learning that just even through this podcast and just through our own like personal development is like, you know, is this something that's really going to bring me joy tonight? Or would I rather be like sitting at home, like, you know, doing a meditation or whatever else, like whatever brings you joy, yeah. watching a movie or like, you know, I think for me being able to have those boundaries and express those has been really hard. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, like you said, it's a lifelong thing. We're all learning and yeah, it's really hard to do sometimes, but yeah. I think, well, the, yeah. The other thing that's super helpful that I just thought of too, is like, when I'm not sure, sometimes I'm like, I know what I want to do, but I'm not sure why. Like, is it for a good reason? Like, for an example, like I decided to do this aqua bike event in this past fall. It was like a, I can't remember what it was. It was a 1.2 mile swim and a 56 mile bike. And there was a part of me that was like, ooh, am I back to my old like obsessive ways? Is this going to be me like just doing all this training for this event so that I can justify eating? Or... Or is this because I really, this really lights me up, you know, and just thinking about it that way, I realized, you know, like the, if, if you're doing something because you're afraid of what will happen, if you don't, there's like that feeling of fear again with like the constriction and the worry. Whereas if it's a, if it's coming from a place of joy and love, like, is this rather than a push, is this like a pull? Well, I'm not sure. Right. A pull, a pull feels good. A push feels bad. I'm not sure. They both feel I like think, they're coming from outside yeah. of you. So I, <laughs> you know, but if it's, is it fear or is it like joy that's motivating this thing, you know? And 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 that can be true. Like when you mentioned like, you know, doing this or doing something else, like I was thinking about my podcast, I'm taking a break from the podcast right now. And it does, it brings me so much joy. And yes, it's a lot of work as I know, you know, and like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the this part is so much fun. It's like the editing and like the making the social media graphics and all those things, those things I can deal with because the joy really is there for me and like connecting with my guests and getting to have these awesome connections and sharing the stories. But for right now, when I'm thinking about all of it, it's just, a, oh my God, no. And I'm listening to that. And Mm -hmm. yeah, do I have some episodes in the queue that I really want to put out there? And I, you know, I talk to people and I know they want to get their episode out into the world and I will do it. I will do it. But for now, I'm much more interested in respecting my own boundary of like, that just doesn't feel right right now. I need a break than responding to like, what if I hurt their feelings or what if I have disrespected their time? Like, I'm sorry if I did, or I'm sorry if they feel bad, but I know I will get it out there. I will do it my own time. And it will, it will just have to be fine, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Respecting yourself and your boundaries and what you truly actually need. I know we've kind of gone through a little bit of that with just growing pains of like learning how to do the podcast and learning like how much time everything does take. So I totally feel you on that one. <laughs> yeah. 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 I know you guys get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Big time. Um, <clears throat> we are beginning to get to the end of our time slot here and I do want to make fast we are beginning to get to the end that was so fun (laughs) I know we could (laughs) seriously continue picking your brain on this all day I'm sure but there were a few things that I noticed like on your website and on your podcast that I did want to talk to you about as well um so maybe I'll just talk about the the thing on your website I noticed was your free download um 11 things you can do right now to feel better about your body. Do you want to speak to that a little bit for our listeners? Yeah, I would love to. I think body image, I I don't know if we can really talk about food and intuitive eating without talking about body image. Because I think so much of the manipulations that we do in terms of like, I'm not eating this because it's bad and I'm eating this because it's good. And I'm all these rules. What are they all for? They're so that we can look a certain way. But the truth is like body image 
isn't really about how you actually look. It's about how you feel about your body. And we are so much more than like something to be looked at. You know, our society has objectified us. I think men and women, but obviously women more than men. And we have power when we A, realize that and B, realize there's things that you can do. There are small mindset shifts that you can make to change the way you feel about yourself. And I'll share one of them. Like one of the things that I share in my download, there's 10 more, but one of them is like, change your self-talk. First, become aware of your self-talk. Like, what are you saying to yourself when you look in the mirror? Like, okay, become aware of it. And can you change it? And when we talk about changing it, I'm not talking about changing it from, if the starting point is, I am gross. I'm not talking about changing it to, I am like the hottest babe on my block or in my city or ever. No, that doesn't even make sense. But what can, what feels true that isn't, I am gross. What if you looked in the mirror and you said, I don't love what I'm seeing right now, but my reflection in the mirror is not the most important thing about me. And then you left it there and you walked away and you were like, or or you, or if you felt like you were stuck on wanting to think about your appearance, just stay on that. I don't love how I look right now, but my appearance is not the most important thing about me. Like come up with some mantra that it's it's not off the wall. It's not like I'm going to go to a talent agency and see if I can be a model when the starting point was, oh my God, I feel like I gained weight or, oh my God, I feel like I have a lot of stretch marks and I don't like them, whatever it may be. Just something that feels true. Like I have a lot of stretch marks and, and that's okay. Or, you know, and, or, you know, maybe it's my pants are tight. Okay. My pants are tight. And now you can even do something, forget about the self-talk, do something, change pants. (laughs) So, um, you know, things like that can give you a lot of that power back. You don't have to stay stuck. You know, you don't, I guess what I want to say is like, you don't have to actually change your body, which most of the time doesn't even work. Um, you don't have to change your body to feel better about your body. It's a state of mind. Yeah. Thank you for that resource. And, um, I think I'm going to go check that out after our talk here today because we yeah, can all benefit too. from just learning and growing more into things like that. And thank you for having that for free available yeah. for people to learn more about your work and to start putting some of these practices into um, their daily lives. So um, do you want to speak a little bit about your podcast as well? I listened to a couple of episodes and yeah. I was really enjoying learning from you and some of the really cool guests that you bring on. So, um, yeah. Yeah. thank you so much. Yeah. Um, well, real fit is the name of it and gosh, I, I started it. Oh my God. Will it be three years in, why can't I remember when I started it? No, I started in 2021. Anyways, um, I interview women athletes and we talk about things like body image, enoughness, and really whatever comes up. But usually, even though a lot of these women, they are all athletes in some capacity. And I've interviewed everybody from like back of the pack amateur triathletes to I've had an Olympian on the show. I've had more than one Olympian. I've had um, like a world-class bike packer. I've had a world-class marathon swimmer. I've had some fantastic people on the show and everybody in between. But what we really get into is the psychology of it, like the mental and emotionally emotional pieces of like what drives you and where do you draw the line between using um an athletic accomplishment for validation and, and and trying to be the best you can be as an athlete but how do you temper that with also accepting yourself for who you are and loving yourself for who you are right now and where you're at right now so we talk about all those things and once in a while I throw in a solo episode and lately I've been talking about intuitive eating on my solo solo episodes and we are on hiatus but I think I have almost like 50 episodes in the archive so there's something that you can find in there that you will like amazing <laughs> well thank you so much Pam um for your time today I think we've learned so much and it was such a important conversation for us to have Um, and share with our listeners, especially majority of them are women. So I think it's such an empowering topic. Um, Do you have any final thoughts or anything that you wanted to um, say to wrap this up? Gosh, I mean, I think as for final thoughts, I think just to sum everything up, I feel like you guys have asked amazing questions. We've hit on most everything. But the biggest message I have for women is that like you are so much more than a number on a scale. 
could ever encapsulate. And we have so much going on in our minds and in our hearts. And when you can take away, when you can strip away all the worries and obsessions and attempts to micromanage the food and the exercise and the quest for like this quote unquote perfect body, you just make so much more room for being present with your friends and family at meals. You make more room to like daydream and to dream and to do and to really be in the world and show up as the person you really want to be. Like if you could quantify the mental energy that you might be spending on trying to manipulate your body, it's it could be, for me, it was insane. You know, and I just want for, when I, when I let that go, I felt like I had ditched like a 40 pound mental backpack. And I just want that for everybody. And so if that is something that speaks to you, I would just be so appreciative. If, you know, come check me out on my website. It's pam-more.com. I have a newsletter that goes out every other week. When you subscribe, you'll get the free download, Lex, that you mentioned about the body image. And if anybody is in the Boulder or Denver area, I'm not sure when you're putting this out, but on May 6th, I'm hosting a one-day retreat. It's called Reclaim, and it's for women who want to make peace with food. And we're going to do it in community, and it's going to be amazing. And it's going to be really small. So um, I don't know if any of your listeners are in this area, but if they are, or if they want to travel, Boulder is an amazing vacation destination. I would love to see you there. That's where we want to come. come. (laughs) Everything you need to know is on my website. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you. We've actually had a lot of guests from Colorado. Um, Not a, not really anyone. I don't think we know personally, but I feel like now Lex and I have so many like connections with so many people we've had on our podcast too. So we may end up down there one day. So we could do a little live episode or something. When you get down (laughs) here, at least we need to have coffee, but but my guest room is open. I'd love to see you ladies in person. You're awesome. And I love what you're doing with this show. And I'm so grateful that you had me on. Thank you, Pam. Thank you for joining us today. This has been amazing learning from you and we're so excited to share this with our listeners. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Soul Connection Duo podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Your support for our podcast helps us to grow our amazing community and allows us to create new and exciting episodes each month. Please leave us a rating and review on your favorite listening platform and be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for new content updates and more.